An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Wednesday, November 23rd. Happy Thanksgiving. Did you get Taylor Swift tickets last week? Producer Craig struck out, but I got four nosebleeds for one of the five LA shows next August. And the tickets with all the stupid fees attached were about 150 bucks each. Not terrible, but I'm one of the lucky ones. The Swifties were very upset. The presale to so-called quote, verified fans that got in the virtual line or were put on the waiting list was a huge fiasco. The Ticketmaster site crashed under the weight of what it said was four times the, re- the previous record for traffic. And many of those bots and ticket resellers that were supposed to be excluded were able to crash the system and gobble up tickets. Taylor herself didn't name Ticketmaster in her statement, but she kind of didn't have to. She said she was assured that they could handle the demand, and it was pretty clear that they couldn't. That's why this is ultimately a supply and demand problem. 14 million people were trying to buy tickets. Only 2 million tickets were sold, and that number was the most tickets sold ever in a day, by the way. There were 3.5 billion system requests, a pretty staggering number. This is also a more complicated story than just the failure of a website. This debacle shined a new light on Ticketmaster, one of the most hated companies in America. We've talked about them before on this show. Ticketmaster has been owned since 2010 by Live Nation, the biggest concert promoter and artist representation company. Now they've got senators, congresspeople, and others who are seizing on this situation to push for its breakup. AOC, Amy Klobuchar, they've both been active. Klobuchar is the senator from Minnesota. She sent Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino a letter detailing her concerns and basically suggesting that Ticketmaster may be a monopoly. Is it? What's going to happen here? Who's to blame? Is it Ticketmaster? Is it Taylor Swift herself? It's actually a really complicated business question. So we've got Lucas Shaw on today to break it all down. He's not a Taylor Swift fan, alas, but he knows the concert business really well, and he's going to explain it all to us and how this can ultimately be revised and if we're in an inflection point on Ticketmaster and Taylor Swift. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. 
All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. Lucas, twice in one week, we are lucky. Bob Iger and Taylor Swift, the king and queen of American pop culture. They really are. They should date. They they should they would break the internet. Um, all right, so I want to start by just going into some of the facts around this situation because there's a lot of misinformation out there. The way the concert business works is the artist and the promoter set the price of the tickets and where the tour stops. So the the venues, but they don't control the selling of the tickets. Yeah, the venues control the selling of the tickets and the venues are the ones that have exclusive deals like with Ticketmaster. The pricing is very much the artist. The artist can control how much they want to price. There's input from other parties, but you can see different paths chosen by artists, their agents, the promoters. The part that the it but in terms of you having to use Ticketmaster, that's 100% because of the relationship between Ticketmaster and the venue. Right. Now, in many situations, because Ticketmaster is owned by Live Nation, which is the world's largest promoter and artist representative, in many situations, Ticketmaster is owned by the same company that is promoting the tour. Now, in this situation with Taylor Swift, she uses a rival company, AEG, to promote the tour. She did not use Live Nation. So there are differences in which the in which companies are managing this. But in your piece, you wrote essentially you tried to figure out, you know, who to blame, and you said the person with the most power to change this situation is Taylor Swift herself. Why did you say that? Well, a couple of reasons. One is the artists have a tremendous amount of power in the music industry. Yes, the heads of record labels and the heads of streaming services and the heads of concert promoters are very powerful people. But if you put Mike Rapino, the CEO of Live Nation, in the room with Taylor Swift, Mike Rapino, for the most part, is going to do what Taylor Swift wants because Michael Rapino wants to be in business with Taylor Swift. Um, and there, I, the, 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 the second reason is because Ticketmaster did screw up royally, there and there's a lot, all this anger around it, I think there's an opportunity for her to advocate for change. I want to be clear that I'm not saying that, that Taylor Swift deserves the majority of the blame for what happened in the circumstance, but I, I do think... Oh, come on. Yes, yes, you are. And address all tweets about Taylor Swift to at Lucas Shaw. Uh, he will gladly respond to all of your Taylor Swift concerns. I'm, I'm going to do my best to avoid responding to that stuff. But look, you want to look at what went wrong in this situation, right? There's two components to it. There's the people who are mad that the tickets are expensive and they can't get them. And that's a combination of, you know, T Taylor Swift setting the price, which, and just limited supply. And then there's the technical failure that Ticketmaster had, which is 100% on them. You want to zoom out and talk about like systemically how screwed up ticketing is and live music. Sure, that, that that's a there are a lot of problems with it, none of which really relate to to this specific instance of of Taylor Swift and Ticketmaster. Right, because there's the breakdown, the fiasco of this this situation where clearly the system broke. I mean, bots were let in, uh, ticket resellers were let in where they were only supposed to be verified fans. The resale market instantly just shot up. They had to cancel the the regular sale because they sold too many tickets on the pre-sale market and they were afraid of what would have happened if they had gone to the regular market. This was a 
fundamental screw up. But I also want to talk about the bigger issues at play here because I've always been of the opinion that the artist should try to capture as much value of their tickets as possible. People give people like Bruce Springsteen or Taylor Swift a lot of shit for higher price tickets. But the reality of the situation is that's the market. And if they don't charge that price, then the resellers are going to capture all that value. And I would rather have my money go to Taylor Swift or Bruce Springsteen than to some dude who is starting a ticket reselling company and has a lot of bots and can get in there and buy these tickets and hasn't actually put in the work to create the music or to stage the tour. And yet you see over and over again, the griping about ticket prices comes on the artist and, and not on the rest of the system. I tend to agree with you that that the artist should try to capture as much value up front to to neuter the resale market because you'd rather have Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, whomever it is, make that money than uh, than StubHub or SeatGeek or whoever it is who bought and then sold. Um, however, I do think that there are ways to experiment with pricing um, and 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 with your tour that would make it available to more people, right? Because if you are one of the biggest pop stars in the world, you both want to make as much money as possible and and capture that value that there is in the marketplace. But you do want to make sure that people of all incomes can come and see you. Um, and and this is one of the reasons why people have, have used the the verified fan because it allows you to in in a way select certain acts. It's why certain artists, uh, not so much Taylor Swift, have limited the resale market on their tickets. Although although you know concert industry experts would say that the government has to intervene to do that. Um, yeah, they do that in some countries. I think the UK has a version of that. Europe has much stricter rules around reselling, right? And in this country, they don't do that. Um, but what specifically could or should Taylor Swift have done to make sure that there was an opportunity for someone to get a $50 ticket to her concert? Well, you just have different pricing pricing tiers, right? A lot of this stuff is set by kind of what we'll generously call an algorithm or by dynamic pricing, where what you see is kind of a, a reflection of demand in the market. Um, but you can make a concerted effort to sell tickets at multiple tiers you know, the the average price for seeing Ed Sheeran or Coldplay is considerably lower than most of their other peers in pop music. I think the average Coldplay ticket this year was something like $70. Now, if you were talking to an agent, talking to a promoter, they would tell you that Coldplay left a ton of money on the table, that Ed Sheeran leaves a lot of money on the table because he just wants to perform in front of as many people as possible. But there's probably a happy medium between that and, I don't know, a, a bad bunny who's charging an average of $200 a night. But the thing on those Coldplay tickets is, is if there is the demand, the resale market is going to go nuts and capture that demand. And the same is true for Taylor Swift. When I bought my tickets, I was only offered two options. I was offered an $80 ticket or a $104 ticket. And they were not great seats. I prob They probably left money on the table because I probably would have paid more for better seats, but they weren't offered to me. And that I was okay paying. $80 to see Taylor Swift, even if they're not great seats, is totally reasonable considering the state of the market. I, I agree. And in a nice new venue, I'm like, I was a happy customer. So I don't want to shit on Ticketmaster for my experience. But you're saying that if there were lower tiers, if I had had an option for a $50 ticket, that that is ultimately preferable for the artist if they're willing to leave a little bit of money on the table. 
No, no, no. I, again, you're not saying that. I'm not. I don't think that Taylor Swift. If if there is a if there is any error in what Taylor Swift did in this case, it was maybe not being kind of experimental or. She she booked a really traditional tour. She's playing mm-hmm. fifty two stadiums. She's just selling it out. She's charging, you know, she's charging what she's charging. There's not a lot of thought of like, okay, well, maybe I'll mix in a, a smaller show here, or maybe I'll do this, charge this for certain fans, and 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 then really up upcharge um, kind of the big fish. Uh, I I just there, there could have been a little more experimentation there, but for the most part, people are mad because the Ticketmaster tech broke. And because getting tickets to the see the most popular person in the world in general is hard, you know, there's like, I don't know how else to say it. And it, it, it sounds like, I, I don't know, it, it, it sounds like too simple an explanation for this, but there are just way more people who want to see Taylor Swift that then can see Taylor Swift. So they're going to be really mad over the course of the week. And if, maybe they can find a way to see her down the line. Maybe tickets will come available for, for cheaper or something. But the fact is, is that she's the most popular person in the world right now. And she's only selling a certain number of tickets. At Lucas underscore Shaw. On Twitter. I do, no, I do, I do think, <laughs> I I do think that there is. My main feeling is that because there's so much energy around this right now, there's people are frustrated because of the Bruce Springsteen prices and the Taylor Swift prices. People fundamentally don't understand how the live music business works, and um, that's one of the reasons why I think it's been hard to get anyone to enact substantive change. I'm just saying this is a moment where if Taylor Swift wanted to become the face of change in the business as much as she was with uh, an artist owning their uh, their masters, as yeah, she was with streaming royalties, she has an opportunity here. And if anyone's going to do it, it's Taylor Swift. Totally. She took on Spotify. She took on her own label. She took on Scooter Braun. Like that's these are things that she does. She took on Apple. Like that that is in her background. And you're right. She has not so far taken on Ticketmaster. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. Let's get a little bit into these legal issues, because I'm fascinated by the antitrust stuff here. Because back in 2009, when Live Nation announced that it wanted to buy Ticketmaster, the Obama administration, they their ears perked up and they said, okay, that's a little bit questionable. They allowed Ticketmaster to be acquired by Live Nation. They required some concessions. Most notably, they had this consent decree that for a decade, uh, Live Nation couldn't force venues to contract with Ticketmaster to get their live events. Um, That consent degree was then extended because it was found, shocker, that Ticketmaster was violating that. Live Nation was violating that consent degree. Uh, There are a lot of people who believe that these companies should never have been allowed to merge. I mean, a perfect example is, you know, the NFL uses Ticketmaster for the venues, right? 
to, for their ticketing. A lot of a lot of the NFL teams use Ticketmaster, but then those same stadiums are a lot of the same venues that are used for big concerts like Taylor Swift. So it's sort of a natural that these concerts have to go into these NFL venues and sort of have to use Ticketmaster because there's an exclusive arrangement with Ticketmaster for that venue. So there's all sorts of things like that. Now, Ticketmaster, to be fair, they say they are the most transparent of all of the companies out there doing this, and they are not the only player, but they have 70% of the market. And for these big, big tours, they're kind of the only game in town. So where do you think we're going to go on the antitrust front? Do you think all this noise from senators and from AOC and others is going to ultimately do anything? Or is this just pandering to their constituents because everyone's pissed about Taylor Swift? I think for the most part, the the politicians who've spoken out are just trying to to register points uh, and, and, and maybe see how it plays. And if it plays well, maybe they can get other people to support them. But the the more likely uh, kind of cause for change is is this DOJ investigation or because it's the, the current administration uh, has been very aggressive in going after kind of consolidations and deals they don't like. It has been largely unsuccessful other than challenging this one recent deal in the book business of two publishers merging. Most of the deals that they've challenged, uh, they, they have lost on. Um, but you could see them decide, okay, you know, People are upset about about inflation. People are upset about inequality. Now is the time to go after this company that nobody likes. The only reason I'm skeptical is because they haven't really done that much before. I mean, yes, they've you know they they uh, imposed the consent decree and they've followed up and continued to investigate, but we've got no indication that they're actually going to break this company up. Well, but we have seen some activity in the antitrust space under Biden. I mean, they moved to block a merger of. The uh, two book publishers, Penguin and Simon and Schuster. I mean, that I think a lot of people thought was a relatively small merger, and they moved to block it, and th- that's still ongoing. So I don't, you know, this would be a big thing to go back into a merged company twelve years later and say, you know what, that was a mistake, and we're going to undo this. Uh, but you know, if Taylor Swift gets involved, her fans are certainly involved. I mean, I, I saw some tweets and, you know, the fan clubs are like, now next we're taking on Ticketmaster. So Taylor watches that stuff. I talked to someone who, who had a 13 year old daughter who was reading up on antitrust law. I mean, there, those, I, there was, <laughs> there was one fan I interviewed, um, who, who was very mad at Ticketmaster and very mad at the situation, but he was self-aware enough to say, he's like, Swifties are unwell. Like we, we're, we're kind of crazy. Um, so there is going to be this, this online movement against it. How long it lasts? I don't know. I mean, it seems sort of obvious that having the biggest concert promoter and the biggest ticket seller under the same roof is a bad idea. Um, at the same time, if you talk to managers, if you talk to people who are in the live music business and you ask them who they'd want to work with, I, I, one person last week said, if you could give me my ideal tour, live nation would promote every night and Ticketmaster would sell every night. Yeah, they have the best tech and they have the biggest brand and they have the most experience, right? And what we don't know, what's sort of impossible to answer, which you'd get into in 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 any antitrust cases, you know, there are competitors, but none of them have ever mounted or in in the last decade or so since 
mounted a real challenge to Ticketmaster, right? Like Live Nation would say, well, look at SeatGeek. They've raised a bunch of money. They're getting some of these deals. But Ticketmaster is, is still the dominant player. And has there been, is, is Ticketmaster still head and shoulders above everyone else because it is that much better? Or is it because it is in some way anti-competitive? There's not enough of a market opportunity for these other people, things like that. Well, that's the question. And then the the real question in practical terms is if you are Taylor Swift and you have had a pretty objectively bad experience with Ticketmaster on this tour, uh, is there anywhere else to go? Does she have another option to stage a tour at the level that she wants to stage it and to sell 2 million tickets in a day and to be, be on this scale? Is there another option? It's hard to say. I, I talked to a couple of people who thought that she might explore alternatives with the, the limited amount of inventory that's left. Um, I just don't know what that looks like, right? Does she force Ticketmaster to, or, or ask Ticketmaster to allow some of its peers or competitors to sell those? Does she, does she try? I mean, she doesn't have time to you know set up her own ticketing business. But she, she can. can. If Ticketmaster has the exclusive arrangement with those venues... How can she go in and say, well, no, I'd rather this small mom and pop sell the remainder of my tour because, seats? Because, 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 because she has Ticketmaster in a compromising position right now. And she'd say, look, you guys screwed this so up. So she goes you in and renegotiates the deal. Correct. And you think that will happen? I think it's highly unlikely, but I wouldn't say it's impossible. Are you breaking some news on the town podcast? Uh, no. Or I guess I've learned enough from, from Bill Simmons. The answer should be aggregators don't aggregate this, but I don't think we have any aggregators, Matt. Maybe not yet. Oh, oh speak for yourself. I have many, many <laughs> aggregators. Mostly, mostly when I get something wrong. Uh, you know, I think that, that, would be a, that would be a baller move by Taylor Swift to use her leverage, go in and say, you know what, Rapino, you're going to give me these tickets back. I'm going to pick my favorite you know, reseller or um, you know, primary seller, and you're going to do a nice little charitable uh, event here and let them do these the rest of these tickets. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. She, you, if you look at the statement that uh, that she posted last week, in which she was very critical of of Ticketmaster, she made a point about how she's tried to bring a lot of different businesses in house into because Taylor Swift has a bigger operation than almost anyone. Ticketing is is required at a scale that I, I just don't think it's practical. Um, for someone you'd still she she could you know label it like I think the 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 version of it that I could see being possible is she could like label it Taylor's tickets but still have it be the Ticketmaster tech or something like that because it would get I think also confusing at venues if you're having people buy through a lot of different places like there's an opportunity to to change the way that the ticketing business works but on I do not have the solution to that and and most of the people who do or thought they did uh, either got squashed by by Ticketmaster or acquired by them. Well, Ticketmaster, if you're out there, Live Nation, you can certainly acquire the town podcast. We do have a price, and, and you can tell us to say whatever you'd like. All right, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, you got big Thanksgiving plans? I'm going to Portland. My brother is hosting Thanksgiving for the first time. We'll see if he screws up the stuffing. Wow, big pressure. Yeah. Are you that guy who sits in the recliner and watches football and expects everybody to serve him? I'm getting there. I'm that guy. It's okay. <laughs> no shame. 
Uh, I am in Arizona with my family. We're going to probably maybe a little golf, maybe a little pool time. Uh, hopefully no news. The Iger thing really uh, threw a wrench in my my weekend last weekend. Um, all right. One thing that I think a lot of people love to do over the break is go to movies. And this Thanksgiving, though, is not going to be as big as past Thanksgivings. It doesn't look like from the projections. There's really not a huge movie opening in theaters. Uh, Wakanda Forever will still be big, but the big opener is this Disney movie, Strange World, an animated film with Jake Gyllenhaal and a bunch of others. Not expected to be A-tier Disney. This is certainly not Frozen, where they've had huge returns over the holidays, and I think that's going to kind of drag down the rest of the box office. The interesting thing is the performance of Knives Out 2. That is a Netflix movie, Glass Onion, and they are putting it in about a thousand theaters this weekend ahead of its release on Netflix over the Christmas corridor. Now, Netflix is not going to report box office returns, but they've got it in a thousand theaters. The demand for this movie is pretty high, which would be significant because Netflix movies typically do not play well in theaters because people know they're just going to be on Netflix a week or two later. So that'll be, a, I think that'll be an interesting development this weekend. If this movie does 10, 15, 20 million dollars, over the holiday in the box office, um, we, you know, that's that's a game changer. So, what is the gap in time between this movie's theatrical release and its release on Netflix? One month? It's about a month. Yeah, and they did this as a marketing stunt and to appease the filmmaker Ryan Johnson, who wanted it in theaters. Netflix does not like their movies going to theaters, and they, it's not a real, it's not really a money grab because they're not they're not releasing it in thousands of theaters. It's only a thousand theaters. So, you know. The original Knives Out was a Thanksgiving movie, and families loved it. It grossed, you know, three hundred million worldwide and became a huge family. I think people associate it with that, and it really is a movie you can take the whole family to, even maybe not the kids, but it feels like something that families will go see much more so than The Fablemans, which is also expanding wide this weekend. The Spielberg movie that is very good, but it's an origin story for him. It's not as accessible. Uh, as a mainstream, you know, murder mystery like Knives Out. So I don't think The Fablemans is going to be a huge hit. But uh, those numbers from Knives Out too will be interesting to see. A real spicy prediction would be that this Knives Out release, this limited theatrical release, will is the beginning of Netflix pivoting to theaters. Uh, that would be a great prediction, but I think it would be 100% false. <laughs> Everything that Netflix has said is that they do not want this. They're doing this, A, as a marketing stunt, and B, because the filmmaker wants it. And, the, you know, it was known as a theatrical franchise. Netflix has had plenty of opportunities to go into the theatrical business. Doesn't mean they won't. They've pivoted on a lot of things, like on advertising and on some of the other things that they said they'd never do. So maybe at some point to make more money, they will put their movies in theaters because I think they could make a lot of money if they really went into it on some of these big budget movies. But I don't think, you know, in 2023, we're going to see Netflix all of a sudden with a slate of theatrical exclusives. I just don't see it. Yeah, I guess we'll see. Maybe maybe Knives Out will overperform at such a rate that Netflix will have to reconsider just like they did with ads. And it'll be funny to see all the other studios trying to report what the box office is for Netflix because Netflix is not reporting grosses. So it's going to be a very kind of haphazard collection of reporting on what kind of information we get because Netflix being as unhelpful as they usually are with their consumption metrics, they are not providing or they say they're not going to provide box office from this this coming weekend. Hmm. 
All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank Lucas Shaw for coming on, talking about T-Swift. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck and his beer belly that he's going to accrue this weekend sitting on the couch. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.